On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. Now it's time for our hidden history slot, which is always very interesting. Look at amazing historical figures who loom large throughout the centuries and, of course, the decades. Now, this week's is extremely interesting. Donald Fallon, our professional in-house historian, is here. And he's talking about a man, but actually a man who's almost more of a T-shirt than anything else. Uh, First of all, welcome to the programme, Donald. Good to be here. Good to be here. Um, There's probably no more famous T-shirt than the one we're going to talk about. Um, But take me back and just sort of build me into what we're talking about and who this person is. Yeah, on this day in in 1967, a 39-year-old was executed in Bolivia. And his image has been described as becoming as iconic as the Nike swoosh logo or the Golden Arches of McDonald's. Now, this slot always has an Irish dimension to it. So people might be wondering, who are we talking about? And the man we're talking about today, the 39-year-old, was Ernesto Che Guevara. And you could argue, in some ways, had the course of Irish history been different, uh, perhaps Che would not have found himself in in Bolivia. It might sound like an odd statement, a curious statement, uh, but Guevara's origins included a man called Patrick Lynch, born in Galway in 1715, and who died in, in Buenos Aires in the late 18th century. So Guevara is part of that really, really fascinating thing, the Irish diaspora. And we'll get to that in a minute, I suppose. But I mean, yeah, look, he does remain, doesn't he? One of the most divisive figures of the 20th century. He was a hero to the students of 1968, you know, when social radicalism spread all over the world. I can remember my own teenage self wearing the Rage Against the Machine t-shirt with Che Guevara on it. And to some, you know, he's not merely a t-shirt, he's something else. Uh, When a monument in Galway was proposed, businessman Declan Ganley said that it would be a monument to the insensitivity and ignorance of those who dreamt it up and it would shame the people of Galway and Ireland. So, you know, there's not one Che Guevara and there's no great agreement on Che Guevara. No, and and he's he's very much associated with all of Latin America. I mean, anywhere you travel there, he is a folk figure throughout all of those countries. But this story really goes back to Argentina in particular. Yeah, and people might be wondering, how, how could Ireland and Argentina have this like shared history? But in a way, Argentina and Ireland made perfect, perfect sense. And a, a new book has just appeared on the shelves by the historian Dermot Kyo, it's a masterpiece, that looks at the relationship between these countries. So why did Irish people go to Argentina? Well, there was land, there was an agricultural uh, economy, and it was a Catholic society. And look, the weather was good. You know, there was a whole host <laughs> of factors <laughs> that were working in favour of Irish people going there. It was the great new hope, if you will. And uh, one study of migration in recent years said that the Irish diaspora in Argentina is the largest of any non-English speaking country in the world and the fifth largest in the world. And they're talking about today. So that, that's extraordinary. It's not a place we really think we really think of with St. Patrick's Day, is it? Buenos Aires. But it, it's a big deal there. And look, I mean, Che Guevara, he's born into that. Ernesto Guevara uh, in June 1928. But two years after his execution, his father would say something about him. Uh, very famous words often misquoted but worth getting right. His dad said, the first thing to note is that in my son's veins flowed the blood of Irish rebels, the Spanish conquistadors and the Argentinian patriots. Uh, Shea uh, inherited some of the features of our restless ancestors. There was something in his nature which drew him to distant wanderings, dangerous adventures and new ideas. Yes, and, and such a complex figure. A lot of people have tried to sum up his contribution and his historical legacy. And there's one particular quote that I suppose brings all those themes yeah. out. Yeah, so what we just heard there, that description of Shea from his own dad, I mean, those words have appeared in a uh, much shorter variation on murals in Belfast, in Derry, on T-shirts. And uh, ba- Barry Shepherd, the historian, he says that that quote from Shea's dad, more often than not, is edited down to the much more marketable 
in my son's veins flowed the blood of the Irish rebels. It adorns T-shirts alongside depictions of figures from Ireland's revolutionary past and was on the recent stamp. The reference to the Spanish conquistadors is less compatible with the popular image of Shea as an anti-imperialist icon. But the part quote from Guevara Sr., and I love this from Barry, has done more to solidify his son's Irishness than a team of seasoned genealogists ever could. Isn't that fantastic? That's brilliant. And yeah, this hodgepodge of identity and origin, that's typically Argentina. You know, Argentina was a little bit of everything, but Ireland was one of those parts. Now, one of, one of the reasons he's a conflictual figure, I suppose, is, is, is like a lot of radicals, they don't necessarily have radical backgrounds. You yeah. know, you go right back to the likes of Tony Benn, who was very much an aristocrat from the Wedgwood family in Britain, but he was one of Britain's leading socialist thinkers. And here we have Che Guevara with very middle class beginnings, and that's why we have this kind of tension. Yeah, in, in some ways, Irish republicanism came out of Trinity College, you know, with Theobald Wolf Tone. It's often the way, isn't it, that revolutionary thinkers, they, they do come from the top of society, not the bottom. And yeah, a young medical student who attends the University of Buenos Aires, you know, he comes from considerable means. Uh, and he goes on this great journey, young Ernesto, uh, in 1950. He travels for thousands of miles on a motorbike in the company of his friend Alberto through Latin America. I mean, that's an upper class privilege in itself, you know, the ability to just... Not have to work. It's kind of easy rider for South yeah, America. Right? Jump on a bike and just, you know, travel for the sake of travel. And they go through Chile, Peru, Ecuador, Colombia, Venezuela, Panama. Uh, I think they even make it as far as Miami at one point. And you know, it has this radicalising effect. And he, he later remembers, uh, no, not, not Miami, but everywhere else on that trip, he says, you know, it, 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 it impacted how he thought about the world and relations in the world. He then goes on another journey into Nicaragua, Honduras, El Salvador. But it's in Guatemala that this kind of young you know, upper middle class student becomes uh, a radical and he first takes up arms. And crucially, it's also in Guatemala that he meets Cuban exiles, including Raul and Fidel Castro. Yes, and the Castro brothers, as George Bush used to derisively call them. I mean, the thing about Cuba is we're still living with the, the outcome of that revolution to this day, yeah, totally. uh, if you go there now to Havana, for example. So just tell us about his link to the to the Cuban revolution. Yeah, and I mean, a friend of mine was in, in Havana a couple of years ago and he said what was really interesting talking to kids on the beach in Havana was the kids all loved Che Guevara because he was eternally young, just like in the West. You know, he was a symbol. James Dean. Uh, they loved him. Uh, but Fidel, a bit like Charles de Gaulle or Eamon de Valera, uh, had lived on far too long. So they associated Fidel with a repressive society, but Shea was this eternally romantic figure. And it's worth saying the Cuban Revolution, I mean, it, it's, it's a very slow affair. It commences on the 26th of July, 1953, but it goes on for five years. And eventually they overthrow the government uh, of Batista, which was deeply corrupt. It had basically handed over large parts of the country's resources, the sugar industry, uh, the foreign speculators. And interestingly, JFK, who was you know, no friend of the, the Cuban Revolution, far from it, JFK actually acknowledged that, you know, in some ways, US foreign policy had, had played its part in the mess. He said, I believe there's no country in the world, including the African regions, where economic colonisation, humiliation, exploitation were worse than in Cuba, in part owing to my country's policies during the Batista regime. I believe that we created, I mean, this is JFK talking about American foreign policy, built and manufactured the Castro movement out of whole cloth without realising it. And I believe the accumulation of these mistakes has jeopardised all of Latin America. They're very brutally honest words, aren't they? Coming yeah, from the, the, yeah. the pen of an American president, but they're also truthful. And this new state that emerges in, in, in Cuba, it's a headache for JFK. It's a headache for the Soviet Union, who initially wanted nothing to do with it, but then found themselves drawn into it the Cuban Missile Crisis. And in some ways it was a headache for the, the, the Cubans themselves because 
Just like Lenin in 1917, 1918, they became increasingly convinced, the Cubans, that they couldn't exist on their own. This revolutionary island couldn't exist in isolation and they had to try and spread revolution uh, beyond beyond their own borders. Yes, and, and it, it spread out. Obviously, they had the Bay of Pigs, that whole uh, military adventure that went badly wrong from a, from a US perspective. But also, as you said, spreading revolution beyond the borders was, was become really important. And they took this fight all the way to the United Nations. Tell us a yeah, bit about that episode. Guevara, uh, he becomes the recognisable face, the good-looking young man of the Cuban Revolution. And he, it's he who speaks at the General Assembly uh, of the UN. One of the most incredible moments in the history of, of, of the UN There's actually two assassination attempts on Guevara while he's at the UN. I mean, someone fires a bazooka in the direction uh, of the building. <laughs> someone else tries to get through the police cordons with a, with, with a knife. It's extraordinary. But he gives this amazing speech at the UN and he talks about racism in the, in, in the United States, and the treatment of black people there. So he knows exactly what he's doing. And the, the obsession of the Cubans really is to try and encourage social agitation and revolution in other places. But by that time, I mean, he's a massive name by the time he's speaking at the UN. And it's not long after that that a stopover brings him uh, to Shannon Airport in, in March 1965. Uh, and by then, he's one, of our, he's one of the world's most recognisable faces. And he writes back to his dad, I'm in this green island of your ancestors. When they found out the television station came to ask me about the Lynch genealogy. But in case there were horse thieves or something like that, I didn't say, <laughs> I didn't say much. But he ends up in Shannon <laughs> <How> Airport. <diplomatic>. <laughs> on another occasion, he's in Dublin Airport. And interestingly, his translator, when he's in, in Dublin Airport, uh, is the mother of Keno Callahan, who's now a TD for the for the Social Democrats. Okay, you're, you're, you're playing with me here. This is uh, this is kind of mind-boggling. These connections are, are extraordinary. Um, his end was a bit like his beginning, I suppose, uh, forged in violence uh, as it was, and, and, and a kind of drum, a sense of drama. And it was in Bolivia that he... Just tell us a little bit about that and what his legacy was from there. Guevara had an obsessive urge to spread revolution uh, beyond Cuba. And this is exactly what happened in, the, in, in, in Soviet Russia. There was a great debate in Soviet Russia over where do you just build a revolution in your own society or whether you try and spread it. And Guevara was adamant that you, you had to go out there. So, you know, he's brought into the colonial world. He disappears from public life in Cuba. No one knows where he's gone. Well, Fidel knows where he's gone, but the masses don't know where he's gone. And he emerges in, in the Congo. He's onwards to uh, Bolivia. And it's in Bolivia, you know, trying to spread world revolution uh, that Guevara is captured and, and, and executed. So he's a very young man. I mean, he's still in his 30s uh, at the time that occurs. And it's, it's yeah, it's, it's extraordinary, I suppose, that he felt his mission was beyond Cuba. Yeah, and as you said earlier, a lot of people just don't know anything about him, but they know him, which is a strange uh, and place that's, to be. Yeah. And a lot of it's true, the T-shirt and the way he was immortalised after his death. Can you just talk us through all of that and the photographs the, and the T-shirt images and so on? There's a good argument that Alberto Corda's picture of Shea, I think you could argue that's one of the most recognisable images of the 20th century. And some people say that that picture of Che Guevara, the photograph, is perhaps the most recognisable image. I think it's that or Andy century. Warhol's Marilyn Monroe, maybe? It's, yeah, it's I mean, right up too, there. Right? And the photograph's taken in Havana uh, in March 1960. But what we know in this country is the stylized kind of version of that image uh, that was made by the, the young Irish artist Jim Fitzpatrick. And that name will be synonymous with the, the, the iconography of Tin Lizzy. That was all Jim Fitzpatrick's work. Uh, but Jim said later, I felt this image had to come out or he would not be commemorated otherwise. 
he would go where heroes go, which is usually into anonymity. So basically what Jim Fitzpatrick did, this kind of emerging Irish artist, was he simplified the image. He gave it a kind of stencil-like quality. And that's what you see, as you said, when you travel around Latin America, it's absolutely everywhere, that stencilized image. And he made it something that could be easily duplicated. And in his own words, he said, I wanted the poster to go out there and breed like rabbits. <laughs> that's exactly what it did. Brown Thomas sold it uh, on Grafton Street in Dublin. And someone told me once that a woman went into Brown Thomas, bought most of the print run and burnt them outside. Wow, that's, that's, a, uh... <laughs> that's a great mistake of history because this is an incredibly valuable piece of art if you have an original Jim Fitzpatrick Che Guevara from the 1960s. Yeah, and I suppose there's an irony that he his T-shirts became a kind of a quintessential capitalist commodity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, it, I don't know if yeah, he would have been that ironic. comfortable with and that, but it, maybe that's just it, the way it's always going to happen. If you go to Highgate Cemetery uh, in London, you can see the grave of Karl Marx but there's an admission fee into the cemetery. So they've commodified Karl Marx. But yeah, you're right. It is a great irony, isn't it? And finally, the legacy, as you said earlier, we're talking about Declan Ganley. Uh, certainly he was uh, unapologetic about where he stood. But it's very contested. Obviously, we, me and you are sitting here in the West and there's a sort of Western view of him. There's obviously a Latin American view. But his legacy is very much contested to this day. Yeah, and a good way of looking at that is the recent Unpost stamp. Uh, when the stamp came out, the Irish examiner said, perhaps Unpost might consider an innovation like introducing second class postage stamps for notorious characters like Guevara and ensuring wow. that first class stamps I, only... I did not know the examiner felt this <laughs> strongly about and, these issues and but... ensuring that first class stamps only show more noble figures like Mother Teresa but what's interesting about those words is this stamp sold out in near record time you know in the history of Unpost very few stamps have, have, have sold out as quickly so you know yeah to some people he's, he's an anti-colonial hero to other people he's a deeply divisive character and the t-shirts remain and eternally will and do you think the debate will continue, Del Dole, about him? I mean, it's, it's sort of never-ending, isn't it, really? Look, Andy Warhol said in the future we'll all be famous for 15 minutes, but you know, Guevara has certainly proven a more enduring figure than that. All right, Donald Fallon is our resident historian. He is author of a new book called Three Castles Burning, A History of Dublin in Twelve Streets. Get your hands on that. Thank you very much, Donald. And that indeed is it for him on the record on what has been a very sad and anguishing um, weekend for everybody, both um, in the town itself of Christ Lee and also all across Donegal and our heart goes out to all the victims of that but that's it from us today On The Record was brought to you on sound was Hugo Da Silva you also heard our help from production side Aoife Breen and Aidan McKelvey and also we had Anna Veglarchik helping out as well for all the team enjoy the rest of the weekend On The Record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11 Brought to you by PwC Great minds think unalike Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation on News Talk.